Welcome to Pancakes on Sunday. Like pancakes, we have many different flavors that we like to bring to the table each week. We talk about sports, mental health, women's awareness. We conduct interviews and play games and entertainment and much, much more. Uh, this week, I, Chelsea, am doing another uh, journey through the looking glass as a therapist. And I'm joined by Joe and my husband, Corey. Hola. Uh, Ryan isn't here. <laughs> Big man, he's he's doing big boy things. He's packing up and moving into into his new home his new home this weekend. So that should be fun for him. And this week we have a pretty interesting show. Um, so somebody had inserted a while ago that they wanted to do. They wanted me to discuss the difference between pedophiles and acting sexually acting out behavior. Um. And so this is this is a pretty pretty intense conversation, I think, especially with a lot of stuff going on right now. So, viewer discretion advised. Viewer discretion advised, very much so. Um, and I'd like to point out a few things before we get into what this can look like. Um, this is the wheelhouse that I work in. So, ultimately, I work at a private practice that conducts really thorough sexual behavior and sexual offender evaluations. So clients will be referred to us for an evaluation before they've been convicted of a sex offense and sometimes after they've been convicted of a sex offense. One of our primary goals of the program is to essentially rehabilitate these individuals and contribute uh, to their growth in a way that contributes to them not reoffending, right? How can we get these guys to a better place so that they don't uh, commit other sex offenses, so they don't sexually victimize other people, um, and so they can live healthier lives? Essentially, anybody with a mental health issue exactly yeah so therapy more based towards what they have mm -hmm. yeah because a lot of the time i've mentioned comorbidity a lot of times and sex offending behavior people don't wake up one day and they're like oh i'm gonna go commit a sex offense or i am going to you know look up child pornography people don't do that that's not you do have your true pedophiles which we will sort of get into as we walk through this process um but it's more convoluted than that. A lot of the guys and people that we see come through our doors have significant mental health issues, including addiction. Um, so while sex addiction itself is not in the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, it follows similar criteria. And I'll talk about that in a second as well. Um, one of the things that I try to do as the therapist doing the work that I do, while we do definitely... Um, you know, we want to contribute to a means so that these guys don't reoffend again. And I say guys and men because we mostly see guys and men. We've had a, since I've been working there, a few women, sure, um, like madams and stuff who run brothels in the heart of Cleveland and stuff like that. That has definitely been some of the individuals we've seen. But nothing... Um, most of it, most of it is male. So when I say guys, you know, that's why. Um, would, a, would a, like, you hear, you, we always hear the cases where a teacher sleeps with a student and then gets arrested and becomes, I mean, essentially that's a sex offender at that point. Yes. I mean, is that, 
I don't want to say premed. It's not I'm premeditated. It's probably not the right word. But sure, I mean, sure. That, like I mean, is that along the same lines? Like yeah. So that's a great question. Um, ultimately, yes, and can be no too. So. If you have a 23-year-old having a sexual relationship with a 17 or 18-year-old, right, that's a lot different than a 45-year-old teacher having a sexual relationship with a 16, 17, 18-year-old, okay? So you have to look at the age gap. Age gap here is a significant difference. Mentally and developmentally speaking, 23-year-olds are not that far off developmentally like different than a 17, 18-year-old female, if we're talking male and female. Mm-hmm. And even the other way around, I mean, these individuals probably just graduated college, right? And so, and then you have these individuals who are their victims, uh, you know, potentially just going into college or starting to explore that realm. So developmentally speaking, they're not that far off in age. And... I want to also preface, while we're walking through this, this is a conversation. This is educational. For people to take it as they do, this is in no way trying to minimize that victims are very real. Victimization. So just because I'm saying that a 23-year-old has a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old and how I'm educating you about this, I'm not minimizing that person's actions. Probably shouldn't have sex with your students, dude. Probably a pretty bad idea. And... Um, in addition to that, so yes, they could have some mental health related issues going on. You have your developmental aspect of things, um, and, uh, other contributing risk factors that can definitely take a toll. So you can have somebody who has, you know, really far into, um, you know, substance addiction. Maybe they're an alcoholic and their head's just not, you know, in the right space. So you have a all of those risk factors um, that that play a role there. And so kind of going back to this victimization piece, um, we also try to reduce the stigma against sex offending and the sex offenders. I guess, you know, when people come to me and talk to me about, you know, how can you work with people like that? Um, I often try to just say, well, how I'm kind of expressing to you guys People don't just wake up and decide that they're going to go out and commit a sex offense. That's not usually the uh, the way that somebody makes a decision. <laughs> um, and while sex offending behavior uh, is can be detrimental to society, it can be detrimental to the people that they victimize, and it often is detrimental to society and is detrimental to the victims that they um, you know, have victimized. Um, sex, sex offenders are people too. And I think it's important to look at everybody with a little bit of compassion and understand why somebody does the things that they do. Because if we can figure that out, then we can fix it. And then less and less of these sex offenses happen, right? Exactly. So that's for the greater good. Exactly. And so I, I equally show compassion and empathy for people who have committed sex offenses and who have been victimized by sex offenses. Um, I can say that I have been a victim of sexual assault before. Um, you know, even just catcalling on the road or somebody touching you against your will. Um, it probably happened a number of times, especially in my younger years. 
And I never did anything about it. I never pressed charges against anybody. And that's not to say that I would never do that if it came down to it. Um, so I want to equally empower people out there that if you have been a victim of sexual assault or abuse, don't ever hesitate to speak up. Okay, that's super important. Um, talk to a therapist. Talk to somebody. Uh, try to navigate what it looks like for you to go to move forward with that. Um, and sex offenders, don't don't hesitate to reach out before you've committed a sex offense. If there is something about your behavior that you feel is not healthy or okay, it's probably not healthy or okay. So ask for the help before it gets to the point to where you end up committing an offense. Um, there is help out there. While uh, it could be limited, there are thousands and as far as resources go for sexual addiction, 12-step programs. Um, so make sure you're just getting, you know, you're getting the help that you need. If you're a victim of sexual abuse or assault, there are several uh, resources for you as well. All right. So where to begin with this? Um, Joe, I wanted you to ask, I kind of just wrote myself an outline here. Because I, I feel like this is going to be maybe a little uh, all over the place as far as how to present this information. Because there's really, there's no black and white here. It's very all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I want you to bring the question that you asked me the other day. Um, and so we can kind of navigate that together. Um, my question was earlier that... Um like we've we talked about on the show already, like the different personalities and being a psychopath and a sociopath and a narcissist and so on and so forth. But we covered all that in the same sense that unless someone breaks the law, you know, that never comes to light. But we only hear in society that pedophilia or a pedophile, you broke the law. You did something. You got labeled, the government labeled you a pedophile. I mean, it's the same thing where the government labels alcoholics. When they get a DUI, they have a yellow license plate in Ohio. I mean, you're just labeling criminals. And you're you're putting them out in the society and say, hey, look, look at me. I, broke, I fucked up and I made a mistake. But when it comes to the whole pedophile conversation, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Well, that, that guy or that person did something bad mm -hmm. to get that label. Yeah. But you can be labeled or considered a pedophile and not even act on it. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, ultimately, pedophilia is a paraphilic disorder in the DSM. Um, I'm not going to... I'll. So, I'm going to go through some of the other paraphilic disorders just to kind of give people an idea of what they are. So, paraphilic disorders, and I have my pocketbook, so I don't have... The big, the big purple book is actually a lot more thorough than this. Um, so voyeuristic behavior. That's essentially um, watching somebody against their will. So not it could be stalking, but stalking is kind of thing in and of itself. But voyeurism, um, you know, you hear people taking video cameras and putting them in places where women aren't or people aren't aware that, you know, they're being video camered. Um or video recorded, I should say. Um, and it's usually in a setting such as a bathroom or a shower or their bedroom or something that breaches their... Bathroom, personal space. Their personal space, exactly. 
Um, we have exhibitionistic disorder. So that is essentially exposing yourself um, without the consent of the person you're exposing yourself to. And these often, these behaviors often contribute to some sexual gratification that that person, like they're genuinely becoming aroused by this, right? So one engaging in voyeuristic behavior gets aroused by watching people without their consent, exposing yourself to somebody without their consent. Does that fall in the line of like creepy people sending random dick pics to people online? Like, don't send dick pics to people, people. <laughs> Good Come on, question. People. <laughs> yeah. So, could be a level of that, potentially. Um, I also think that that has to do with just, you know, it, that, could, that could be a lack of a boundary. Like, maybe people just think that that's the thing to do. Like, once you start online dating, that people want to see your dick. Not really. Um, but, so, that, that could be a number of things. But, yeah, it could definitely fall under that. Um so frauderistic behavior essentially is rubbing up against somebody without their consent. Um, usually your private parts, right? Um, little bump and grind. Yeah, without consent. Um, sexual masochism. So that's like an intense sexual arousal from the act of being humiliated, beaten, bound, or otherwise made to suffer as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. Um, so people often hear the term like BDSM, you know, bondage, sadist, masochism, uh, BDSM, BD, bondage, what does D stand for? Domination? Domination, yeah, I think that's actually right, um, drawing a brain fart, or having a brain fart here, so yeah, BDSM, so that kind of falls under that auspice, and... But, I mean, if you always, if someone wants to go and pay somebody to step on their balls i mean that there's nothing wrong with that you're right and so ultimately <laughs> step on your balls that's funny um so yes all of these disorders too while there's a disorder for that like a label for something like this in the dsm i'd like to throw it out there too that just because you're into something doesn't mean it's necessarily problematic so let's say you enjoy Consent. Exactly. Safe, sane, and consensual, right? Those are the three terms. If it's safe, if it's sane, if it's consensual. Okay, safe is maybe on the spectrum here with this bondage mass, you know, the BDSM stuff. So if you're tied up, how safe is that actually? Or if you're handcuffed to the bed, how safe are you actually being? Ultimately, in situations like that, just have a safe word. Like if your partner and you are into that stuff, fantastic. You guys got to have a safe word though. Octopus. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Fox try. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, so it's really important that, you know, that safe, sane, and consensual. You both are into it. You both are willing to engage in it. Um, and, and sane, right? So we have this spectrum of sane, too, of BDSM. How sane is that? So all of this stuff is on a spectrum. Um, ultimately, like, the sanity of it would be having that safe word, making sure that you, you both are very aware of what that looks like and what that is and if one one of you says it you're both sober right to be able to know what's happening you both can you know recollect the situation at hand and and i'll be you know actually present um so sexual sadism sadism disorder so masochism sadism i'm kind of Mm -hmm. you know ahead of myself here a little bit um fetish fetishistic disorder so 
um, recurrent intense sexual arousal from either the use of non-living objects or a highly specific focus on non-genital parts as manifested by uh, fantasies, urges, or behavior. So all you toe suckers out there. I don't know. I heard you made a lot of money on feet pictures out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and so, again, part of this, too, is how much money and time are you spending in this kind of behavior um in uh like how much how how often is it can like impacting your ability to function in going to work and making sure your other basic needs are being met is it impacting your relationships with other people so that's kind of the part where where comes the disorder and almost addiction because i mean mm -hmm. if you're I mean, gambling's an addiction. If I, it's causing you financial hardship, I mean, at that point, it could be, and you're you can't kick it, and you are borderline addiction, mm -hmm. sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I want to ask you a personal question as a side note as we're going through this, because of what you do for a living, and um, like. I, I feel bad for some of these people in the regard of, like, some of these things that we've even crafted a joke about or are talking about right now. Like, you know, like kind of how we mentioned with the feet, for example, to whereas that could potentially fall in one of those categories and become an addiction, like you said, to where it becomes like this person's not functioning anymore because of this mm -hmm. properly, like how they should be to live a healthy life. Mm -hmm. So, like, at one point to where I know we can't control, but, like, stuff out there like OnlyFans exist and Feet Finder and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, the internet definitely you, doesn't help. Right. Are you, like, against those age. things naturally? Oh, that's a good question. Oh. Because I feel like that stuff just contributes to, like, hurting people more. So, I'm not against them, per se. Because it's, like... Drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol are always going to be there. I'm not totally against the existence of alcohol or existence that, you know, people like to smoke their weed or, you know, uh, right. caffeine even. You know, caffeine and um, nicotine. So as long as it just ADSM. falls in those three categories, that's a good basis. So, like you said, safe, consensual. Like, Insane, yeah. yeah. And if, if you are putting the need for something like sex or some sort of substance, right? If the, the addiction exists in one way or another, getting in the way of you being able to go to work, it's causing you significant financial issues, contributing to un really unhealthy relationship dynamics, then it's a problem. And that's when I have a problem with the internet and stuff. But you can't necessarily remove the source of some of the contributing factors. Um, or the the thing that's contrib like the you know the porn or the alcohol you can't remove those things those will always be there so I'm not mad at those things I'm actually I'm not mad at anything right but and it's really the person you know they fell into some sort of addiction or they fell into some sort of beha behavior but underneath that behavior is a need okay. so why is a person engaging in that behavior well they probably have a need that's not being met. And so what does that look like? And so that's where I come in. Let's figure yeah, out what yeah. your need is. 
and then you have a little bit more sense of control. You can then create, you know, have a healthier sexual relationship with yourself. That can be possible. Um, you can look at pornography without it contributing to a huge cost problem for you. Or, you know, if, if it's a contributing um, factor in an unhealthy, you know, spousal relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, if you watching porn contributes to you not having sex with your spouse... Probably causing some significant issues there, right? So, um, no, not really against those things. Uh, like I said, you can't really remove it. So, right. Yeah, I was just curious because I guess I never asked you that, mm -hmm. and that question kind of popped. I in think my that head. world of stuff is getting worse. That's for sure. You know, before we turned on the mic here, we were talking a little bit about just how substances. If you don't turn your life around in addiction, it will probably kill you. It will consume you into the point to where it kills you. Um, and you don't know what anything is caught with anymore. You know, um, any substance. You do a little coke and it's laced with fentanyl or something to that effect. You just, you got to be careful with that stuff. Um, and porn, you know, just one thing after another is coming out. You know, like anime porn. Um the furry groups and stuff kind of contributing to unhealthy sexual arousal templates. I mean, I'm not judging anybody for being into anything, but, and, and part of this is, I guess, not me, not entirely understanding the sexual desire for that stuff. Um, it's like everything is sexualized now. Everything. Well, yeah. Even our fast food commercials. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah, it just seems like things have gone really too far <laughs> and it's contributing to a lot of issues. So much more, so much more issues. Um, so back to the DSM. So the fetishistic disorder I read, transvestic disorder is, um, you know, getting a sexual arousal from cross-dressing. Um, and again, you know, cross-dressing isn't the end of the world. It's how much time and money and energy are you putting into something, right? Are you breaking the law in any way? Are you using something to groom your victims? And then we have pedophilic disorder. Um, we also have other specified or unspecified paraphilic disorder. Those kind of fall under the categories of you can't really identify what the paraphilic is, but it looks like there's some sort of sexual behavior that is unhealthy. Um, so pedophilic disorder, uh, over a period of at least six months, recurrent intense sexually arousing fantasies, sexual urges or behaviors involving sexual activity with a prepubescent child or children, generally age 13 years or younger. Um, the individual has acted on these sexual urges or the sexual urges or fantasies cause marked distress or interpersonal difficulty. So this kind of goes back to that original question. If then somebody acted on that, that, that contributes to them breaking the law. So absolutely. However, I could be, if somebody's a pedophile, that could also fall under this auspice. If somebody was a pedophile and they fantasized in their brains, used their imagination to sexually gratify themselves by thinking of somebody under the age of 13, that is still acting out on a fantasy, right? And so that's not breaking the law. It's not healthy. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, people would consider that probably pretty gross, 
but it's still not breaking the law. You're not victimizing. Um, you're not pulling somebody else into it. Right. You're not physically victimizing somebody. So I imagine, to some degree, you sexually gratifying yourself to the thought of a th- <clears throat> you know a child that you might know, to some degree, that is victimizing that person, but it's still not breaking the law, right, based on what the law is. And I'd like to throw that out there, too. We... Um, we don't have control over the law, right? So I know that some victims and families of victims and community people in the community were like, why are these people not spending life in prison? Well, that's a complicated answer. Ultimately, you can spend life in prison and you can get some pretty significant long-term consequences. Um, but sometimes victims move forward or go forward with something years after the fact and not much evidence exists against the person who was the perpetrator or uh you know hands-on versus not hands-on victims matters too um in a courtroom setting um and so there's a lot of without going too much into that there's a lot of uh there's a lot that goes into that a itself. A lot of factors. Yeah. Um, the next uh, criteria here, the individual is at least age 16 years and at least five years older than a child or children in criterion A. Um, so that could be, um, they're talking about the perpetrator here. Note, do not include an individual in late adolescence involved in an ongoing sexual relationship with a 12 or 13-year-old. Um, specify whether there's exclusive type, attracted only to children, non-exclusive type, um, which could be your older, older, older adolescents. Because just because, so like if you're 25 and you're maybe a sexually attracted to like 16-year-olds, that doesn't really, that doesn't, necessarily mean that you're a true pedophile there's a big age gap there but 25 you know a male that is 25 developmentally speaking still has a little bit of an adolescent brain sort of depending on where he's at um if he's used substances in his life does he have significant mental health issues um you know is he diagnosed with autism so you have all of these things that you have to take into consideration um and then you have your, it's actually relatively normal um, in humans to be sexually attracted to, um, biologically to be sexually attracted to somebody who is 14 and up. Um, you know, they've hit puberty. They, they some, some, some of these people do have, uh, women have breasts and butts and they, they're starting to form curves and stuff. So it's not necessarily the sexual attraction that also is the wrong thing because as far as biology goes, our bodies um, are essentially programmed that way. Um, I mean, if you think about it way back in the day, I mean, there were people were having families at 16. Exactly. If you were in married and yeah. having kids at 16. Yep. Like, Once I mean, you started your period, you were a person of, you know, you could, if, as long as you could reproduce or as soon as you could reproduce, you were reproducing. Um, and... Um, and of course, that brings up another point kind of in my head as we're talking about this. You know, other countries normalize this stuff, right? And so this is Western culture. This is part of, you know, uh, 
the Western culture that says that adults shouldn't be having sex with children. Um, so, and then there's specify if you're sexually attracted to males, females, or both. Um, sex, uh, specify too if it's limited to incest. So sometimes families don't engage only within like a family, family dynamic. Um, and so those kind of just, that wraps up a little bit of the understanding of the DSM's um, ways to identify what different kind of paraphilic disorders are. Um, while I said there is no sexual addiction necessarily in the DSM, uh, we sort of use the same criteria that we would to identify a sexual addiction, like we would any substance use addiction or disorder or addiction. So is it getting in the way? I actually was going to pull from that. Is it getting in the way of you um, functioning in society? Is it getting in the way of you being able to navigate relationships? So I'll, use, I'll do alcohol-related disorder, alcohol use disorder. So really, we're just going to replace the word alcohol with porn, okay? And I'm going to do porn um, because often sexual addiction starts with porn. Starts with porn. Um, it sets an unprecedented, unrealistic precedence for what sexual relationships look like. In what sexual in, in what porn do you ever see them ask for consent? First of all, you just have a plumber walk into your house or an electrician or something to that effect, and they go, "Hey, sexy, come here." And then, okay, that doesn't happen. <laughs> first of all, um, and all of that material has just contributed. You know, it's gotten worse. Um, and when I mean worse, it's just there's no boundary there. There's no there. There's no. Um, control system like what goes into being downloaded and what is wanted and desired and so a problematic pattern of sex use or porn use leading to clinically significant impairment or distress as manifested by at least two of the following occurring within a 12-month period um, okay Porn is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than what was intended. There is a persistent desire or unsuccessful effort to cut down or control porn use. A great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain porn, use porn, or recover from its effects. Craving or a strong desire or urge to use porn. Recurrent, alcohol, or recurrent porn use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations such as work, school, and home. Continued porn use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused or exacerbated by the effects of porn. Important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of porn use. Recurrent porn use in situations in which it is physically hazardous. Porn use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by, exacerbated by porn. And tolerance as defined by either of the following. A need for markedly increased amounts of alcohol to achieve intoxication or desired effect. A markedly diminished effect with continued use of the same amount of porn. So, and I'll go into this next criteria in a second. So, desensitization. We've brought that up a couple of times, too, in regards to trauma. We've talked about that. 
So desensitization to a stimuli. When somebody is uh, subject or uh, exposed to something over and over and over again that feels good, eventually how that stimulates you, our brain is no longer responding to that in the same way that it used to. So regular porn, let's say you are into watching female and on ma of, yeah, male on female porn, and that's where you start. Of age, totally appropriate. Well, over time, let's say you decide, or it happens to where you, um, you know, you're doing it maybe twice a week, you know, masturbating, looking at that kind of porn and, and doing that twice a week. Well, twice a week, you know, doesn't, isn't really doing it for you anymore. You kind of just up your game a little bit. So you start doing that more and more and more. And so let's say you're masturbating every day, sometimes twice a day. That regular porn you're watching, your, your sexual arousal is being diminished a little bit. You're being desensitized. That stuff isn't really arousing you as often as it was probably before. So then you start looking at things that maybe are a little bit outside your comfort zone. Maybe you're looking at some BDSM. Maybe you're looking at, you're starting to look at, you know, uh, bestiality. Who knows? You, you know, pick something. Um, and then eventually those things also, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm watching this. And then, uh, then you start maybe looking at pornography that has teenagers in it, like older teenagers, maybe 17, 18 years old. And then before you know it, you're looking at child porn that has children, right? So, uh, the tolerance factor here, so such that alcohol, for alcohol, you, you need more alcohol to feel the same effects that you did. So one beer is no longer cutting it. You need a whole 12 pack to feel the same effects that you did. It's kind of similar to porn or kind of similar to sex. You need a little bit more sexual arousal in, in some way, um, with something that maybe feels a little bit more adrenaline rushing. You know, you want to get those positive chemicals in your body going. And um, and to get that, you kind of seek out the thrill of looking at something that is outside of your value system. Right? So, withdrawal as manifested by either of the following. Um, you can't really withdraw from porn, I guess. Um, but as far as like a physical effect goes, but you can mentally um, withdraw from porn. So like part of this behavior, this unhealthy sexual behavior, watching porn and engaging in masturbation several times a day, like your body is essentially gonna go through some sort of mental health withdrawal or you know, to, to not be doing that, to making lifestyle changes. Um, you're not getting that those positive chemicals that are releasing in your body as often as they were. So what are you replacing that with? Um, and so you don't have the physical addiction or the biological addiction to it, but there's definitely a mental. Yeah, it sounds like the biggest thing you got to watch for is abuse. Like, are you abusing these things? Exactly. So addiction, um, there used to be actually the DSM before this one came out. There was alcohol use. I'm trying to think. I might be botching this. But there was a couple of different specifier, like, uh, diagnoses. So you could do alcohol use and alcohol abuse. So there were actually two separate things in the DSM. But they combined the two. Um, 
and it was substance use related and addiction disorders. Right. So, yeah, because it is it falls under the same relevance. Yeah. Uh, so. And that's like what you talk about sometimes is like getting to the root cause with these people because it's almost like, you know, why am I abusing? Well, like you said, well, the brain wants to be happier. It wants those endorphins going. Those things give them the endorphins, so they keep doing those things. Well, why are you lacking endorphins? Well, you don't have a healthy relationship. You don't like where you work. You had abuse as a child. So many contributing factors can go into this why you are now seeking this yeah or what gives you that endorphin rush right and that that reminds me coming back to victimization um i would i i I can't throw out a number percentage at this point but i'm going to say a lot uh several of the guys we work with have actually been victims of sexual abuse themselves and so that often contributes to this you know, a foundation for which their understanding of healthy sexual relationships or healthy sexual behavior starts to manifest off of. So um, imagine being 12 yourself, being victimized by an uncle who is in their mid-30s and you're not entirely sure, you know, he tells you not to say anything and that you should trust him and 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 so this 12-year-old is sitting there, well, okay, he's my uncle. He's, suppo- he's supposed to love me. And he told me, you know, this is our little secret. And there's a lot of shame and guilt behind that. And so it's almost a catalyst for, and this could even be a catalyst for when children find, it, it almost normalizes pedophilic behavior in that child's mind. Because their uncle is 35 years old and they're 12. And and so it, it normalizes to some degree. So when I say catalyst, right, so they were a victim of sexual abuse. And so there's a possibility that being abused at that age kind of stunted your sexual development at that age. So as you get older, your sexual arousal template remains that of a adolescent. Now, is that stunting? Is that like a defense mechanism in the body of the 12-year-old? Is that like, or like what, I mean, what caused the, like, just the essentially stop growing in that sure, nature? Sure, sure. So, I, I, I like to compare this with alcohol or substances because it's the easiest way for me to describe something when it comes to brain development. So, if you have a 14-year-old... Or let's say you have a 25-year-old who had been he started smoking weed when they were 14 years old. Their brain, as far as developmentally speaking, isn't going to develop the way that a neurotypical brain would because they smoked weed throughout that whole 10-year lifespan. So their brain development is impacted. Good thing I waited till I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, ultimately, uh, when you have... Um, so the one sexual traumatic experience that this person had doesn't necessarily stunt their growth in the sense that they can't overcome that. Often when a child is sexually abused at a certain age, it usually leads to other unhealthy sexual behavior. So that's not, it's not usually a one-time thing uh, that happens. When they're being raised, it's like going back to like, they see their parents doing this or someone, or an adult tells them this, they think it's okay. Yes. 
And then they start to seek out porn on their own. Their friends show them porn at school. They start looking at it on the internet. Um, you know, they, they, all kids have smartphones these days with little to no parental supervision. And so you have the world at your fingertips with that shit. And, um, before you know it, you like looking at that stuff wires your brain in a certain way to believe and think and develop specific to, in, in a specific way. Um, and so I think, I don't know if I've made a clear cut answer as far as what, you know, the difference between unhealthy and sexually acting out versus true pedophiles. I'm trying to navigate what do you guys think? Like, where are your, where is your brain at? I mean, I understand more that there's, I understand the whole, the, the legal aspect of where, I mean, yeah, it's just not a, the government labeling you something. Like, yeah. it could actually be something else mm -hmm. and more internal. Yeah. And there's ways to deal with it. Um, there is. You can be a pedophile and still live a healthy life. Um and you know sexually acting out uh now if you were diagnosed a pedophile like that without legal reparation or anything like that you don't have to tell anybody do you no so i mean that's just no so that's your, why it's important to seek help early just do yourself you some help yeah exactly and if you don't want the anxiety of being just thrown out into the public eye i mean might as well just go get help now yeah and keep in mind, like, how we've been sort of talking about the, a little, you know, as we're talking about all of this, you could essentially be attracted to uh, somebody who's a little, who's younger than you. Don't automatically think you're a pedophile. Come, work that out in therapy. Don't self-diagnose. Don't, people need to stop doing that. <laughs> that's terrible. That's, that's, that's opening a floodgate of disaster. Um, seek out therapy, therapeutic help. Um, and, you know, we don't throw the pedophilic, um, or the pedophilia diagnosis around, like, you know, like it's nothing. Um, more than not, the guys that we work with are not true pedophiles. Most of the time it is sexually acting out behavior, um, unhealthy sexual behavior that started at a young age that never got addressed or tackled. Um, usually sexual trauma or some sort for, sort of abuse is involved um, and often trading one addiction for another. So one, you know, you start out with alcohol and realize that you probably shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Well, porn is legal, right? And porn isn't going to kill me, so I'll look at some porn. Well, next thing you know, you're masturbating eight times a day. That's not healthy either. Um, so that's off. That, that can be Don't one of those things, one too. one addiction for another. Yeah. And remember, you can don't send dick pics. Yeah, <laughs> don't send dick pics. It's not appropriate. Uh, so yeah, I get that's that's really all I have as far as um, sexually acting out versus pedophilia. Um, My questions are answered. So your questions yeah. are answered. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really all I have. I'll, maybe I'll, because Megan was the one who wanted to hear this piece, so maybe I'll have her take a listen once we post this episode and kind of get some of her feedback to see if I had answered the questions. And 
in addition to this episode, I think it's really important that you listen to all the all through the looking glasses. Yes. Because all of it overlaps. We've talked about this stuff time and time again in a different sense and from a different direction. So that'll make this episode more whole. That's why I think it's important for people to, if you're going to listen to it and you're interested in this episode, try to give the others a listen beforehand. Um, and if you have questions... You can follow us on Instagram, Pancakes on Sunday Podcast, and send us a DM. Chelsea will read them. You can also email us at pancakesonsundaymorning at gmail.com, and we can answer your questions as well. If we get enough questions, maybe we'll hold a little Q&A episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the future, or the next episode coming up of Through the Looking Glass, so we're actually going to have a special guest on yeah. this one. Yes. Yeah, Chelsea. So I work with Chelsea. Chelsea too. <laughs> Chelsea squared. <laughs> Gary said that one day, who used to be my supervisor, um, and it kind of just stuck. So yeah, Chelsea and Chelsea, us two, we work really closely the, closely together. We run similar groups um, or run the same groups. We do individual work with both adolescents, children, and adults alike. Um, her and I have very very similar counseling and clinical uh, skills techniques are like she she's an incredible therapist but she does she specialize in something um so she is we would we're not gonna call it a specialty but for some reason we all I think I've mentioned this for myself for some reason when I see clients a lot of people who have this sexual addiction or sexual behavior um, related issues they're often diagnosed with ADHD too so I'm geared towards working with people who have ADHD and I'm grateful for my husband because he helps me understand it in way more ways than I probably ever would understand it um and so that's that's great so she so she for whatever reason has a draw to work with people who have DID which is disassociative personality disorder um or Disassociate, dissociative identity disorder, my bad. Um, and so that is essentially split personalities for people who, um, you know, aren't necessarily nuanced in what DID is. Um, and so she wants to come on. So I asked her if she wanted to come on and talk a little bit about what that looks like, how people are diagnosed with something like that, people that she's actually had clinical experience in treating, um, and kind of her journey into becoming a therapist, because she's got an interesting story. That woman has traveled everywhere, and so I want to get a little bit of her personal story, too, behind that. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about DID next time. Fantastic. So, uh, please listen to our other Through the Looking Glass episodes. Chelsea has done a fantabulous and informative job on them. Sweet! Um, and check out, when you're listening to this, last month we did a D&D series, uh, The Fam Tries D&D. That was a interesting experience. Uh, definitely made her use our noggin and try to explore a little bit more and the creative side. So if you enjoyed that, let us know and maybe we'll do more of that. We have plenty of stuff planned for you. We have... Uh, interviews and all sorts of stuff planned coming up in the future. So, oh, yeah. Please follow us. Um, and we'll follow you back too. We'll we'll follow for follow. Yeah. We're just trying to get the numbers up. Rate, subscribe, like, share, do all that on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening. You know, it really helps us grow and improve. And 
we have a lot of stuff coming your way, so. Absolutely. We hope you enjoy, and uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, fams. Be safe out there.